What's going on guys? And I thought I'd just quickly do a bit of an intro towards this podcast because this episode was one of my personal favorites just because of how much a journey I actually went through whilst talking to Mark. He used a lot of analogies that I've never heard before. And if you know me, I'm a big pro on mental health awareness due to my own mental illness. And it's made me think and evaluate a lot of things that are currently going on in my life and how I'm conducting myself. I cannot recommend this episode enough. It really went down a very deep rabbit hole that was extremely entertaining, but also extremely interesting. So if you do enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends, share it with your family. It means the absolute world to us and we cannot wait to show you what we've got lined up for this podcast and the episodes that we've got coming up. Anyway, guys, I'll leave you to it. Enjoy the podcast and leave your feedback below. We'd love to hear from you. Speak to you all soon. Yeah. What's going on, guys? And welcome to a brand new episode of Behind the Barber. I'm obviously joined by my co-hosts, Mr. Matt Mawson and Robbie Carpenter. Hello, guys. Hello. And we have a special guest today, Mr. Mark Corder. Now, it's going to be a really interesting podcast today. It's something we haven't done before, but I'm really excited to go down this rabbit hole. But Mark, first of all, can you introduce yourself, please, mate? Yeah. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Mark Corder and uh, I run Mark Corder Limited, which is a development personal development, um, leadership and management training, coaching, consultancy. The whole point for me is helping people improve, helping people develop, perform better, achieve more. And uh, it, it quite complements what you do obviously here because you've got the gym and I like to think of uh, I work on people's mental, uh, you know, states, improvements and, and learning and development. Mm. How did you come about doing this? Was this something you've always wanted to do or is it just a bit of a tangent in your life? Well, it's a good question. So I had a career, I've had a few roles and uh, all the time I was thinking, you know, I really enjoy the learning and development. I really enjoy, um, I've had some, some, a uh, few leadership positions and I've enjoyed helping people and supporting people and seeing people grow and develop. And I had this uh, inkling that one day I would want to work for myself. An opportunity came along about seven years ago, eight years ago, actually. And um, I decided to take the plunge, set up on my own and, uh, I was just discussing with Matt because we left a career at the same time and, uh, you know, we're both quite happy with where we are and it's just gone from strength to strength and things are going really well. And and I'm getting a lot of satisfaction from helping other people. I bet. I bet. It's quite interesting. Like, as you boys know, there's a big abundance of people now going self-employed. Like, people are starting to realise how much they actually just want to be their own boss. Um, like Matt, you're a prime example of that. I'm a prime example of that. I went from full employment to jumping into a massive deep dive cave of being self-employed. Yep. Um, but no, it's interesting what you do because especially last year, we actually spoke to Maria about this yesterday, didn't we? Last year, there was a massive rise in mental health awareness, which is absolutely fantastic. And it's part of your job, I'm assuming, is going into workplaces to help people with that. Uh, because obviously in offices, it's, 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 you know, it's rife, isn't it, at the end of the day? Absolutely. What I'm finding is um, people are talking about this mental health and the resilience term that we hear a lot. But when I go into organisations and do a lot of work, it still seems to be a big thing uh, with the workforce. So it's almost as if there's a few tick box exercises going on to to write policies and to talk about, you know, we want to do this, we want to help people. But I don't quite think that the impact of that has has landed with the individuals Mm. who seem on the whole, quite overworked, overburdened, quite stressed. So a lot of what I've been doing in the last couple of years has been around resilience, emotional intelligence, stress management, and and also a, a lot of demand for time management, w- which we, we know is time management, but actually it's self-management mm. because time is just going to pass and it's about how we manage ourselves and make use of that time. Yep. There's, there's a, a recent report released by Harvard Business Review and it said um, we, we need to stop stressing because... If you work 24-7, you will not get everything done. Mm. So we have to start getting comfortable with yeah. not completing everything, mm. which is difficult for people. Definitely. I've, I'm sorry, comment. I, I'm just curious. So it's a, a bit of a tangent, but it's heavily linked to what you've just mentioned there. I'm reflecting on my life, my career. If I go back 20 years, I can remember in my workplace, there'd be the occasional person that would discuss having stress and potentially being off with a stress-related condition. Um, And I didn't really empathise back then. I didn't properly understand what it was, but it was exceptional when that seemed to happen. And today it seems a lot more rife uh, with anxiety, with stress in the workplace. And Mm. I'm really curious, 
20 years ago, do you feel the amount of stress in a workplace and fight or flight people were suffering from was actually lower? Was it just something that wasn't understood as well or, or considered and people weren't as open with it? Or is it more something we've created over the last few decades and it's modern life is genuinely creating a lot more of this, particularly in the workplace? Mm. It, it, it's a really good point. And uh, I, I think years ago, there was probably some of it out there and people dealt with it in their own ways. And some people, unfortunately, would, you know, go to extremes. They would uh, get an addiction, uh, have time off work, go and see the doctor and get signed off and not really have a coping mechanism on how to come back from that. Today, my view is that we're all having too much to do. And it's all linked, I think, to the um, you know, this thing about emails and technology. And it, it's it's all working at like a thousand miles an hour. Uh, when we joined, uh, when, we, when we started our work in life, we would have something typed out. We'd put it in a brown envelope and put a stamp on it. And then five days later, the, re- the recipient would receive it. Yeah. And then you might get a reply five days later. So you've got potentially 10 days to offload something and forget about it while you start something else. Now we can press send and 10 minutes later, we could have the response that's telling us to do the next piece of work. So we're never going to get caught up. And, uh, Another study, a union in this country, a big union in England, said um, with all the advances in technology, organisations should be allowing us and enabling us to work a four-day week Mm. because the technology has given us great advances. Unfortunately, all those benefits have sat with the organisations. More profit, more more time out of people. So people have got more to do, more to do than ever before. Targets, expectations are higher, competition is massive because we're competing or everyone's competing globally rather than just locally and uh the the sad thing is a lot of it goes unseen so people will do eight hours in the office but usually more take their laptops home and then work till eight nine ten o'clock at night just to give themselves a chance tomorrow and that can't be sustained forever and 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 then you get the um this dichotomy of the the, the work-life balance we talk about and and if you asked everybody what was important they'd say oh family fitness health looking after myself hobbies so that would be the top of their list, but what they actually spend their time on, those are the bottom of the list. And the things that they actually spend their time on are competing with targets, getting things done. And all that does when you achieve things at work is it invites higher targets, more to do. And people don't like putting their hand up and saying, it's, it's too much, I can't do anymore. I think that's a really good point. I really agree as well. Technology and this from my own personal experience, has been a killer with the ability to switch off. Um, I've had roles over years where, especially when it's a global role and you're responsible for things in different time zones, uh, even through the night you have to check on things um, and it does insanely impact on your life and everything else linked to it. Um, But I'm also thinking... Humans, uh, particularly in the UK, we almost seem to be happy to accept that now as part of our working life. And I think, again, from personal experience, there's almost a a pressure and a self-expectation we're putting on us now that if we aren't this person, that stays on top of things and proves ourselves and responds to emails when required, then everyone else around us will do that and just surpass us in the workplace and we'll get left behind. So... I think as a culture, we've gone down a really dangerous path there and I'm not seeing anything change either uh, from my perspective. I'm actually curious if, with regards to the work you're rolling out, are you actually seeing a, a, a real change beginning to happen with this or is it something that's just not happening? You, you make a lot of good points and uh, the time I have been spending in, orga- in organisations is obviously a fraction of the time that people have to do their work and it's quite and it's all too easy to 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 me spend time with people and then tomorrow their boss is on their case again for doing you know so many things the people that really need to come on board with this are the big decision makers in organizations and uh, a lot of people bring me in uh, to work with the people at the lower levels who are the ones showing the symptoms and and the ones having difficulties but in actual fact that the cause of that is usually the level above or, or a few levels above where there needs to be an acceptance that, you know, we, um, we only have so many hours in a day and we, we're human beings, we're not robots, but all this technology is, is asking us to work at the pace of robots. And um, 
the other the other concern is um you said about competing and feeling like we've got to do it, etc. You, you've got to think about social media as well. Mm-hmm. We're always seeing what other people are doing, what other people are achieving. And of course, they tell us the good bits. So I've just got promoted. I've just got this. Look at this new car I've bought. And everybody starts to feel a sense of, if I don't compete, if I don't do this, I'm getting left behind. And uh, it can be it can be an issue. The reality of the matter is, we're only really competing with ourselves. We should aim to be better tomorrow and have a better life tomorrow than today and yesterday, but not think of ourselves as competing with other people because we can all find people doing better than us and we can all find people maybe not so uh, doing so well. So your perspective really is, who do you look at? You can feel comfort in looking at people who aren't doing as well as you and feel really happy about that if, that's, if you are a competitive person. Or you can look at people who are doing much better than you and make yourself feel really inadequate and then think, right, I've got to do better, I've got to do more. And then you're not enjoying the whole journey, it's all about the destination. And when you get to the destination, you set a new goal, and off you go again. And you don't take anything in, you're not mindful of the present, you're not really focusing on the things that are going on in life, you're just looking for the next target or goal, or the next shiny thing. But all around you, the collateral damage is your family, your health, your relationships, your hobbies, the things that you aren't then focusing on. So let, we've got to stop competing with other people and say, what is our goal in life? What do I want to achieve? What, what does good look like for me? And be satisfied with that. That's so, so true. Um, yeah. So I was just going to say, like, because of everything we see on social media, a lot of people feel like they're almost failures in what they're doing. Because like you said, they're comparing themselves to other people who are only posting about the good things in their life and stuff like that. And I must admit, I fall victim to that fairly often, especially with fitness videos, because obviously, you know, I, I like to post some of my lifts on on Instagram, for example, and I'll be scrolling through and I'll see someone who's clean and jerking a weight I want to clean and jerk, like easily, like for a warm up. I'm like, fuck, like, what, what am I doing wrong? Like, how are they smashing it? Blah, blah, blah. But like you said, it's always remembering, like, you're going through your own journey and you've got to figure out what's best for you. So, um, yeah, I, I really agree with that point in terms of, finding your own path for sure and trying to not I suppose social media is there as a as a positive and a negative at the same time so I feel like it is um it's healthy to communicate with others easier who are not around you and stuff like that but there is a point where like you said what you post and to the point where people post stuff that isn't even true yeah. and falsify yeah. it on social media as well <clears throat> yeah which, um, it's like the epidemic at the moment of fake weights <laughs> fake prime weights example so at the moment names. there's companies that are producing fake weights so they look like the real thing and then people are lifting these weights and you're like, what the hell is going on? And it turns out actually they only weigh like a kilo, but they look like they're 20. But again, that's like creating the perception for people who are brand new, especially in the fitness industry. Like they go onto Instagram and they'll see these people lifting these huge numbers and because they're not lifting them, they get frustrated and then they put themselves down. It's a massive spiral and deep, dark hole that you don't want to go down. I think one of the things I do with my clients is I actually tell them to limit their time on social media um we tend to just post and straight off it and that's something tom hibbert taught me to do um tom's like a mentor to me and he said one when i had a bit of a mental breakdown i guess it was um he said straight away instagram upload that's it uh i know he actually uninstalls the app so he uploads uninstalls it and reinstalls it so he just doesn't spend any time doing it massive game changer for me huge game changer because i'm no longer comparing myself to others I'm actually respecting the body that I have and actually taking my time. And Maria again said it yesterday. Too many people see people with like lean ripped abs and then they feel like they have to be like that. But actually maybe in that time in their life, they're not there yet. And it's the same in business as well, isn't it? Like people see these multi-million pound companies and they, they get annoyed because their company is not growing or may not be growing or not at the standard it should be. Um, but it's definitely, it's becoming more apparent over the past few years, I find. I don't know if you guys can agree with that, but I'm noticing more, as you said earlier, Matt, more and more people are being diagnosed with various different uh, mental illnesses. And it does beg the question, like, how toxic is platforms like Instagram, Facebook, YouTube? Um, and is it negative, negatively affecting us or is it making us progress as people? There's a fine balance because I'd kind of categorize it all as technology. Mm. And I think as a, uh, as, as a, as a species, our technology has surpassed us. 
to a point where we have things that uh, has accelerated our like work rate, for example, like mm. like you said with the whole emails, where before you'd have to post something, wait five days later, whereas we can get something done in minutes nowadays. And I think, and on the negative side of technology, it's because we can do more quicker. We feel like we need to do more quicker, and um, yeah, I think that comes at a cost in terms of with mental health. And I think the more technology is growing, the more mental health issues has come back from it because mm. not everyone is, uh, I guess, mentally strong enough to handle such a heavy workload. But our, but that's kind of the world we live in now. It's like let's do more quicker and keep doing more because we can fill more in the time of the day because we want to get to X, Y, and Z, you know, in our career life, whatever, as quick as possible. I think that's our mindset. We want everything now rather than, you know, looking after ourselves, I guess. Yeah. It's, Sorry, mate. Uh, yeah, and, and also lead, leaders can be the same. So they have those expectations on us all as well to, mm. to have everything now because of the technology. And, of course, everyone's getting pressure from above. That The pressure is the whole chain from top to bottom to get performance, to get results. So the people at the coalface who are doing the job every day, the, the, the resource that's the most important are the ones not really being you know considered the most. Because when you burn them out and when they go home and, and they sign off and, and don't come back for three to six months, if ever, everyone else is left to carry up the rest of the work. Yeah. And that just perpetuates the problem. And you have qualified, experienced, good people falling down all the time. And the, the, the time and resources to take to, to fix that problem could have been just better invested in having the right numbers in the first place. Mm. A, a good example is I'm, I'm seeing companies grow. Revenues, targets, performance, sales, massive achievements in growth, but the headcount is hardly moving. And uh, the, the, the people at the top might think, well, we don't need to have more people because everyone's getting the job done. Mm. But you talk to the people who are getting the job done and they're feeling so much pressure, but they feel... I can't put my hand up and admit it. It's a sign of weakness or I could be replaced. My other colleagues aren't putting their hand up and sort of being seen to complain. And that itself makes it uh, difficult to, to be the one to put your head above the parapet, if you like. Mm. And um, what we need is is organisations to, to almost entice this information out of people. Yeah. So I was working in London this week and we were talking about having more conversations. Rather than um, like a six-month and a 12-month appraiser with your line manager, and a lot of organisations are going away from that. Let's just talk to people. Mm. Let's just have more regular conversations at work when we build up rapport with our line managers as well so we can talk about anything. And if you can talk about anything, then when you talk about some of these subjects, it doesn't feel like a big deal. It's just an extension of a conversation. And I, I don't know many leaders, if you really said to them, look, I really can't cope. I've got too much on. I need help with this. Not many are going to say, oh, it's too bad. Because if you disappear... It's going to make their jobs even more difficult. Yeah. The key thing is simple conversations like ask your line manager, I've got all these things to do. Can you help me prioritize? Because I don't think I've got enough time personally to do them all unless I work late every night. I'm sure you don't want me to do that. My family don't want me to do that. So if we were to prioritize, which is the most important things for you? And if things didn't get done, which of those I can put at the bottom of the list? The two benefits of doing that, your line manager, if they didn't know, they now know how busy you are. And also they are giving you permission not to do certain things. Mm. It might be that you can delegate stuff, but if you can't and it's all on you, accept that you can't do it all and accept that work until 8, 9, 10 o'clock every night isn't a solution either. Mm. It's just a path down you know, a road we don't want to go. So we have to have strategies to deal with it. And, and that's what I do. I talk to people and I give them the support they need to, to figure out you know, ways to manage themselves, manage uh, their relationships with line managers and hopefully influence line managers to have more conversations. One or the other starts them, but if we get more conversation for people, it will just be natural just to, to put things in. I mean, we, we worked in the same office for years, Matt, yeah. and it was nothing like we couldn't talk about. We had a laugh, we got the job done. You could tell me anything and I would tell you anything and I would listen if you had something to tell me. That's the sort of thing we need to foster, not a them and us where we just talk every six months. Mm. And, and I know this happens because a recent um, group I was manage, uh, you know, of managers that I was uh, working with, one of them said, my boss hasn't asked me or talked to me about performance for three years. No feedback if I'm doing a good job, a bad job or whatever. The fact I'm not in trouble, I assume I'm doing an okay job. Mm. Can't be like that anymore. Mm. Yeah. 
It's, uh, do you ever look into Jocko Willink? Uh, Jocko Willink is a uh, ex-Navy SEAL. He's a Navy SEAL, isn't he? I can't remember. He was high up in the Navy SEALs, and basically one of the things he does nowadays is he goes into big businesses in America, and he finds out the root problems of said businesses. And uh, in his book, it was really interesting because he went into this multi-million, well, billion-pound company. He obviously couldn't state any names. And uh, the, one of the leaders, I'll put that in quotation marks, um, was saying, this person's doing this wrong, this person's doing this wrong. And the working team were really unhappy because obviously this leader kept on bellowing at them and having a go at them because their revenue wasn't high enough, blah, blah, blah. And Jocko sat him down and he said, you're the problem. And the bloke obviously lost his shit at him, but Jocko was like, no, think about it in this way. If you would have just spoke to them, what's the problem? What's going wrong? How can I help you? And like what you're saying, if a leader's actually a leader, they will sit the person down and be like, is there anything I can do? And my old work, I had an incredible team leader who um, she supported me throughout the whole uh, mental illness side of things. And every single day she'd sit me down and be like, how can I help you today? And it goes miles. It's exactly that. Um, People get to these leadership positions and they forget, not just where they came from, but what their actual role is now. Mm. It isn't to tell people what to do and to boss people around. Your only job as a leader is to facilitate and support everyone else achieving the targets. Mm. And the ego comes out of it. It's not about you. Whatever success is achieved, you're enabling it, but they're still doing it. So the the thing you've just said there, those conversations can be around... How can I help you more? What do you need from me? Is there anything that you need particular support with? What do we need to stop doing? What do we need to start doing? What do we need to do more of? And that can even be part of a performance conversation. Mm. Instead of telling people how they're performing, use open questions. Ask them how they think they're doing. Yeah. What do you think you could do better then? Or what do you think you could do different to change those numbers or those figures? And 10% of it is about looking at what we've achieved and where we are. 90% of it is looking forward. What have we learned that we can use to improve and make, and not just performance and targets, but your life at work better, relationships better, communication better, because that's a big thing. Um, but too many people, particularly line managers, are happy to to, to dwell on the, the actual figures and say, well, you know, you failed this target. And the whole conversation's about that. Mm. But for the reasons you just gave, Ash, people um, don't go home feeling great about that sort of no. feedback. Mm. You've just been beaten up by your line manager, given a lot of abuse about, how you're a failure, that doesn't exactly encourage you to do anything else than go on the internet and see what other jobs are out there. Yeah. And your skills and experience goes elsewhere. Mm. The, the, the days of organisations um, holding you um, you know, to ransom for, for staying at work, hopefully are becoming long gone and organisations have to be grateful mm. to have good people who've yeah. chosen to work with them. And I always say this to people, keep developing, take the mindset of lifelong learning because the, there may be a day one day where you think, I cannot work for this organisation anymore, but I feel trapped. Mm. Well, you won't feel trapped if you keep developing. Yeah. Keep qualifying, keep learning, and there's, there's so many different ways of learning. They don't all cost money. They don't mean to do training courses, but keep learning, and then you can feel more comfortable about walking away if you have to. Yeah. It's, it's an open question to all of you, actually. Like, Why do you think the UK culture is work at 100 mile an hour, always at 100 mile an hour? So for me, I think it's come, like I said earlier, with technology. I think Mm. we have the ability to do more so much quicker. And I think that's the mindset is, well, we need to get ahead of our competitors. So we're going to do more in a day than everyone else is. Um, That's kind of my mindset um, on that. I don't know. What about you, Matt? So interesting one. The UK, again, it's personal experience. I find we do work at quite high rate, but there's other countries out there that will work at higher rates. Mm. Um, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. So certainly um, India, China, and we know countries in that region work at a very high rate. And I think part of the reason why we're in the situation we are today with technology is because that there was a point where when technology was first being introduced more heavily to the workplace people were saying this is a revolution for humanity. It will give us a better work-life balance, which Mark's already said. And then we found there were other countries that capitalised on being able to introduce technology and automate and then work for human workforce even harder. Those countries became incredibly productive, 
which led the rest of the world to realise we can't just sit back and have a greater work-life balance. We've got to keep up, otherwise these other countries will overtake us. So so that was the first aspect, um, and that led us to work harder, uh, particularly in Europe as well. Um, but I also think countries that have more unionisation or are more heavily un- unionised tend to have a slightly better work-life balance. So the UK isn't too heavily unionised anymore. And I think with the big corporations, they're beginning to recognise unions less um, at the moment. And I think that removes some of the strength that an employee base used to have with pushing back. Uh, Because that used to be a collective voice um, that had more weight, and we're beginning to lose that in some areas. Um, And Germany is a great example of heavily unionised workplaces um, with the work councils they do have a much more solid work-life balance while staying very productive. So I think the unionisation is a positive, that it gives strength and a voice. And then the culture side is is the final part. Um, And a a good example there is I used to manage part of a team we had in South Africa while I was based in the UK. And I used to look at the difference between our American teams, the European teams and the South African teams Um, and the South African team's productivity levels, um, just because it was the norm there, were so much lower than, say, the European teams. Mm -hmm. It's not that they were doing anything wrong with regards to what they're used to. They're just general pace of life, which relates to the pace of their workload delivery, is just naturally so much slower. Um, And that's something you have to get your head around as well because you, you can push people and help them develop to be more productive, but when you're up against a historic cultural way of life that's ingrained with everything they do as well, you've also got to accept that some cultures and some countries do have differing levels of productivity mm. and live with it as well. You um, you do see things that make you reflect. You've just given some examples there. So I had a holiday, and it was, it was in 2007, so quite some time ago, but uh, my wife and I, before the children arrived, were at a hotel in Barbados and we'd ordered a taxi. And the taxi turned up outside the hotel and the, and the guy put down his windscreen, uh, win, window to, to, to tell us that he was here and he was holding a bottle of beer in his, his hand as he was driving up to the door. <laughs> and never in my whole life would I entertain getting into a vehicle in this country uh, with somebody with a beer in the hand, for, yeah. for obvious reasons. <laughs> but I actually reflected and I thought, Do you know what? He looks like the happiest guy in the world, obviously, because he's got a beer maybe, but everything just seems so chilled and relaxed. And and then it made me think, why 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 can't we aim to be, you know, mm. thinking of that as a success rather than how much money we make in and how many beans are we counting and how many people are we pleasing? And I, just while you were talking, Robbie, about the uh, social media and you're talking about it as well there, Ash, uh, what, what I've done is, um, you know, I, I have to use some social media for my business. But I think some of it is trying to, to switch off and, and not see the things that are going to be counterproductive. So there's people that post on social media and I've got f- friends on Facebook and, and uh, you know, it's it's not very polite to, to unfriend people. But, you know, you can unfollow people and they don't know that you've unfollowed them. And if your feed on Facebook is filled with uh, the, the glorious things people are doing every day, which you probably think maybe they're not, but it, it's coming across like that. You don't need to be influenced by what other people are doing. So don't look at it. You know, switch off these things and look at the things that you think, you know, where's the benchmark for me? What, what is it out there that I would like to be? And find people who are happy, not people who are successful. Because mm. behind all those successful people is a lot of heartache and turmoil, quite often, because they've made sacrifices, you know. And uh, and, and while they're supposed to be sat at the dining table playing a, a game with their child, playing Monopoly, They've got their phone in the other hand answering their WhatsApp messages with their work group that has been set up unofficially, nothing to do with the organisation and the organisation isn't behind it, but they've set it up for convenience. Mm. And they're all chatting on this WhatsApp group 24-7. It pings, so they look at it. They feel obliged to react. And I've heard people say, yeah, but if I don't comment, they'll think I'm not interested or I'm not you know, paying attention. And uh, we never switch off. And if you can't relax, you aren't in the moment, you aren't being present with people. And uh, eventually, for all of us, it's too late. And uh, as Stephen Covey, who um, wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, um, Effective People, sorry, uh, what he said as, as one of the things he said on one of his um, podcasts that I've, I've been listening to was um, 
What did he say? Hmm? I'm just trying to think what he said. No, no it's fine. Podcast there. Um, yeah, yeah. When you have your funeral mm-hmm. and you write your will and you leave your will, you will leave the same as everybody else leaves, and that is everything. Yeah. So yeah. nothing you're going to take with you. So whatever life you lead or have, it's really the what you leave behind in terms of memories. What would you rather people said to you at the funeral? Yeah, they had the best car in the street, they made the most money. Or would you say what a kind and successful, sharing and happy family, mm. fit and healthy person they were? Everybody wants to be that, but that's not the life everyone's leading. No. It's kind of like strength-based, really. Not Like, we're all not in this for money. You know, we're all in this because we want to do something that we love. Probably a good job. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't think we'd be here if it was for money, right? No. But no, it's true though, isn't it? Because at the end of the mm. day, like we, we do this because we love it. Uh, we do this because we're helping people better themselves. And people step in here maybe with some problems that they've got going on in their life, and but they step away with positives. You know, AOP crew, prime example. A lot of our crew have mental illness. A lot of them do. They, they come in some days and they tell us that my anxiety is not very good today. We sit them down, have a cup of coffee with them, have a chat with them, make sure they're doing all right. When they leave the session, they feel fantastic. And I do think happiness is so underrated at the moment. Um, funnily enough, I went to Canada uh, a few years ago now, actually, and um, their way of life just confused me. I, I couldn't work out. They were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll leave, we'll leave in 10 minutes. We'll leave in 10 minutes. An hour later, we're still there. And I was getting really, not aggy, but like, I was just like, well, we were supposed to be there like 50 minutes ago. And they're like, yeah, but they won't turn up for another hour or so. And then I come home and I was like, Christ, I miss that. I miss that just slow pace of life and things get done. And as you said before, like you're more productive. Um, is it Sweden that's trialing the three day week? Is it Sweden? There's, Switzerland? There's a country, isn't there, that's trialing yeah. it at the moment. I was actually, I've actually had that in the back of my mind for a fair bit of this podcast where we were talking about because we have time to do more and the ability to that we feel like we need to work seven days a week. Mm. Whereas, like, they, they, like you said, they're doing a study on how or a trial on working more intense, less hours rather than long duration, sluggish hours, I think is basically the mindset. Um, so when you're working, you're working at near maximal, you know, productivity, but you're trading off with a lot more rest and time away from work. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I haven't actually checked up on that in a long time. No, I haven't either. I wonder, I wonder if that's actually going quite well. Well, there's a, there's a, a maxim that says uh, work expands to fit the time available in which to do it. So if you've got 10 hours to do a job or five hours to do a job, you'll still get it done. But one of them, you'll approach it in a bit of, oh, I'll just go and have a cup of tea. I'll just go and have a chat. I've got all day to do this. If you've got a particular deadline to meet or you've got less time at work, three days a week, let's say, or seven or six hours a day, you're going to be more productive because there is no time to waste time. Mm. So you'll be focused on what's important, get the job done. And those time wasting or, or distraction things that happen at work, they can be cut out. But that's then giving you that time back in your own time at home to, to use it as you will and more productively. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, more time at the office doesn't mean uh, more outputs and productivity. It, you know, it's, it's about working smarter. I know that's a cliche, but working smarter rather than mm-hmm. harder. Some people, I think, just spend time at the office because they don't feel like they've got the permission to go home yet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the role models need to be the leaders. And, uh, and, and I know what I've said so far, but there are a lot of good companies I work with who have got this right, the leader will be the example. And if they're going home, they're telling other people to pack up. You know, why are you still here? You know, you, you should have gone home 10, 15 minutes ago, encouraging people to work smarter, and then they get their time back at home. But plenty of leaders won't do that. They'll be thinking about the bottom line, about the targets, and we'll be happy to see people at the office. But there's no benefit to that. Quite often we're salaried these days, or there's no overtime for it. It's just, we just do it. And the question is, why do we all do it? Why do we feel we need to do it? And if we say yes to that, we say no to everything else mm. because we can't be in two places at once. So, you know, I've seen people phone their homes and say, I'm not coming out for that meal we've booked tonight because I've got to stay and do this report. And there's not even a, a thought to negotiate about this report. And this example I'm thinking of, as it turned out, they got the report done and the boss said, thanks. Yeah, I've got that now for my meeting in three days time. So the boss put a target on it just because it was nice to have on their desk. Mm. 
but the person thinking, oh, I've got to stay now and get all this done. Again, lack of dialogue and conversations and lack of empathy, thinking that people have got lives as well, mm. that it's too easy to be wrapped up in our own yeah. situation. So, you know, just a lot of it is in the mind and, and how we approach things. And um, stress is an interesting subject because while it is a mindset, and we do get stress from things like, you know, bereavements and split ups and, and moving home and stuff like that, you know, stuff that we can't help. And stress and depression uh, can be caused by, um, you know, chemical imbalances in, in the brain, etc. But a lot of stress is a perspective thing. So two people can have the same load on their plate and one can get stressed and the other one might not because we're all unique and individual and we all approach things differently. But the person who's probably getting stressed about it will be thinking about, I've got too much to do and not enough time to do it. I'm going to fail. I'm going to let my boss down. I'm going to be a disaster. And the person who's not getting stressed about it is thinking with logic, not emotion. Right. Mm. I am one person. I've got one pair of hands. There's 10 hours work here and I've got four hours left in the day to do it. So I'll prioritize. I'll speak to my line manager. I'll have an adult discussion one to one. And I'm not going to get worked up about it because I'm explaining to them the situation. If then it doesn't go well, well, I've told them there's only me. There's no one to delegate to. They'll be very pragmatic and very logical about it. Uh, the people who tend to get a bit more stressed about things tend to maybe view it from the emotional side of things in terms of not wanting to let people down, not wanting to feel, feel a failure. But of course, they're often not, but that's how they can end up being made to feel. But they wouldn't if we were a bit more supportive mm. and proactive from the leadership point of view. Yeah, That's interesting about the um, emotional versus logical side of it. Because um, I know, I personally know people that will go above and beyond again, for reasons that don't benefit them at all and only someone else. And it's um, it's just really interesting you say, because I've never really viewed it that way before or really understood it as well as you've just explained it, how you will weigh things either emotionally or logically, especially with like work. So I've never been employed or any dive. Or I've always been self-employed as a personal trainer and stuff like that. Um, and I've always looked, I've always beat myself up about workouts that way, how I will look at, a, I, I very rarely look at a day where I need to do something logically. I'm like, God, how am I going to fill that in? I'm too tired. And I, I, I blow it off or whatever, or just complete, complete fall out of program. Um, so that's actually quite nice to hear. Like think of it logically. Like if you're going to push it a day forward, does it really matter in the long run? Mm. No, not really. And um, here's where the, the physiology of it all comes in. So in our brains, they were um, obviously, uh, the whole human uh, setup was from millions of years ago, you know, from very, very, um, you know, um, evolving from not a lot to being uh, like human-like and back to the cave cave people days, um, the fight or flight, when, I think you mentioned it earlier, um, Robbie. So it's there to save us and protect us. That That's what fight or flight is. Mm. Before we had security systems and brick buildings and, and shelter and police forces and cameras. So we had to be on our guard for uh, risks and threats. So the emotional side of our brain is the one that fires first. It, it is there to protect us. That's our fight or flight. If we sense danger or we quickly emotionally use our experience, knowledge and, and our gut feeling, is this okay or do I need to get out of here? So this still exists with us today. So 95% of our initial reaction or decision-making is emotional and only 5% is logical because the logical part of the brain fires second because it's, it, it's further away from the, the system. So you've heard the phrase count to 10. That gives you time to digest the emotional reaction and apply logic. Very few decisions in life require instant, you know, yes or no or, or you know, quick reaction. Many decisions we make can be thought about and, and and figured through but sometimes we just think it's good to make decisions quickly but then we regret with a long time a lot of times afterwards it's why the, the the world's prisons are full of people who acted in the moment without thinking and they've got the rest of their lives to regret about it about the things they did so what we need to do is give ourselves that thinking time that ability to count to 10 so we'll have an emotional reaction or a feeling about something a response we call it a trigger We've been triggered. Maybe someone said, right, I need you to stay late tonight or I need this result or you're triggered because you're late for a meeting or something. It never helps us to react emotionally. So, okay, let's apply logic. 
I'm going to count to 10 now. I'm going to stop the emotion. If I am 10 minutes late, what's going to be the impact? Who's going to care? You know, why stress myself about it? If I don't get this job done today, as you just said, Robbie, if it's there tomorrow, is that the end of the world? We don't have to have a clear inbox every day. We don't have to have all our to-do lists done because every time we achieve all that, there's other things in our lives not getting done. So it's about learning to react um, logically rather than emotionally to situations. And it can be trained and it's a habit, but you it helps to sit down and go through all the triggers in your life that cause you to feel emotional and stressful and then figure out a plan. So that next time you're in that situation, you know what's coming and you know exactly how you're going to react. Same if there's a person in your life, a work colleague or a boss that just makes your back, you know, stand up, you know, all the hairs on your back stand up. The minute you see them, that's not productive for you working together. So knowing that's going to happen, right, next time I see them, what am I going to do? I'm going to say, right, let it go past me. Let it go over my head. They're not going to bother me today. I'm just going to talk facts and deal with the problem or the business or whatever. But if we let things control us emotionally, it rarely ends in a good outcome. Mm. I wish you knew me about a year and a half ago. Blobicus can uh, vouch for this one. I was 100% emotional. I had mm. no logic whatsoever. And um, this was around the time I was diagnosed with all my shit, wasn't it really? Um, but if someone said something which I didn't agree with, I only had one reaction and that was just aggression. And there was a number of times where Robbie had to basically just pull me away from situations because I couldn't process information at the time. I couldn't, I couldn't separate, as you said, the emotional to logical. Um, and it's taken me, what, a year and a half? Probably about a year and a half, would you say? Mm. I'd still say, like, in the past, since... Start- Thanks, mate. <laughs> since starting um, Strength Base, there's been stuff that's happened and you've still reacted emotionally, but mm. the way you react is so much better than before. It's more of a... You worry about things that may or may not happen. Mm. So... Obviously, that's a massive step from aggression. Yeah. So you've yeah. definitely come a long way in that in that respect. But um, yeah, like you said, um, mm. it's uh, learning to build that logical it, side. It's to something it, right? not to beat yourself up about because that's how our brains are developed. Mm. That that is how mm. we are. That's nature. And some people will do it to a greater or lesser extent. But the thing to remember, and the thing I always try to get across to people is, we have a stimulus that that sets us off. Something sets us off. The action that comes after it is actually our choice. Yeah. It can be an emotional reaction or a logical reaction. So so what do I feel like doing? But what's the right thing to do? Mm. So sometimes it's to keep our, you know, bite our tongue. Sometimes it's to keep our hands to ourselves, you know, and uh, and not do the thing that could over time be counterproductive mm. and harm us and relationships and things like that. So it's, it's buying that time, that thinking time mm. between stimulus and response. And you hear phrases like, oh, I was really angry with that person or I was really disappointed with that person. And I would say, why did you choose to be angry? Why did you choose to be disappointed? They said, mm. well, I didn't choose. They made me angry. I said, but their, their, their behavior is nothing you can control. They're always going to be the way they are. You can't control how they behave, but you can control how you react. You can choose if you want to be angry or not. It is a choice. By having these triggers up front and thinking about the things that bother you or that can affect you, choose, choose not to be angry then. Choose a different response. And when you do that over time with practice, you'll feel a lot more at peace with yourself and a lot less around you will bother you. Mm. And uh, your circle of concern, the things that you really should be bothered about, will be smaller because it'll just be the important things you worry about, not the things you can't influence. If there's somebody's mood, they come in and we could say, oh, what side of the bed did they get out of today? You know, we, we can't help that. Mm. Something going on in their life may be affected their mood today, but don't let their mood affect our mood choose not to be bothered by someone's mood mm. and in fact if you don't react to it there's a good chance they may they may snap out of it because they're not getting the perhaps attention that they want to get yeah it's very true i've also just realized the hypocrisy hypocrisy of one of my posts recently uh just after what i just said so one of my posts so on instagram i'm a big like believer in education and that sort of thing and a lot of the time you boys can you will see it all the time people blame every other external variable possible for a poor session and i've realized like i I wrote a post about this and now i've realized actually i'm not actually owning the variables in my own life so training wise if i have a shit session eh, it doesn't matter it's fine whereas externally like blobbo just said if a situation happens then I should be owning the way I react. 
if you understand that. Yeah, I, I, I won't say who, but you have recently told me about a really good analogy with the Hulk and the response as well, um, which I, to me made perfect sense. Do you just want to elaborate a little bit about that analogy? Yeah, and I'll even tell you who. Okay. Yeah, because it's my lad. So... Um, <laughs> My lad, Sam, is as good as gold. He never gives us any problems. Uh, but like anyone, once in a while, and especially, he's only 11, so he's learning as well. So um, uh, some comments were made at school to him and his reaction after a while. They were going in and going in and going in. And I think it was just a case of hitting boiling point. And he reacted and, and he punched and kicked this other child um, who a lot of people thought got what they deserved. But of course, that's not what I want it to be like. So... Um, I had, to, I had to speak to the teacher and I said that I've dealt with it already because he, he does tell us what's going on. He, he speaks the truth, which is good. Mm. So I said to him, you know, I said, you, you know, you've watched all the Marvel stuff and, uh, you know, Avengers and all that. I said, when does the Hulk turn green then? And he said, well, when he gets angry and annoyed. And I said, in the last film we saw, they were trying to make him angry because they wanted him to fight for them, but he wouldn't get angry. And I said, they were trying all sorts to make him angry. I said, your, your job when you're in school is to let people say stuff to you or accept that people will say stuff, but to not turn green and become the Incredible Hulk because it won't help you through life. If you ignore that person or, you know, go and speak to someone about it, they're more likely to go and find somebody else to annoy or try and wind up. But the fact that you reacted, you've achieved, you've helped them achieve what they probably wanted to do. So, you know, let, let's, let's learn to count to 10 and to not react in ways that aren't productive. And um, for any football fans listening, so 2006, World Cup final, best player in the world, Zinedine Zidane. Uh, Defender whispered something nasty in his ears uh, about Zidane's sister. And Zidane turned around, took two steps and headbutted this defender. So in the World Cup final, he gets himself a red card. Now, clearly that was an instinctive thing. So act and then think later. And he's probably walking off to get his, his early bath thinking, what have I done? The guy tried to wind me up. He succeeded. He's still on the pitch. I'm now finishing the game um, in shame, red card. And uh, the result was that France lost the, the final on penalties. And he might have took a penalty and might have been the difference. Mm. We'll never know because he wasn't there. So he's obviously had all that time to regret that. And probably a big uh, thing of uh, learning from this is, you know, no matter what people say or do, it's still your choice mm. how you react. And I said that to my son, you know, um, you know, you don't have to react just because you think that's the thing to do. He made me angry. Well, then don't let him make you angry. Don't mm. choose to be angry about it. Choose to walk away and, and be the better person mm. or go and speak to somebody if it's a repetitive thing, you know, but that's not the solution to mm. get angry and react. An emotional reaction is rarely the solution. In your training side of things, if someone is having a bad day, and they know it's counterproductive to go to the fridge and start eating a load of rubbish, but they're feeling miserable and they do it anyway. The outcome is they feel even worse. It's just a cycle. Mm. It's finding a way that your trigger makes you feel emotional and then choosing how to deal with it, an appropriate response mm. to get away from that situation. Happens all the time. Um, it's something that has to be practiced and learned mm. rather than expect to just wake up and you know have a solution for it tomorrow. So, so Ash, you're, um, you know, whatever happened previously with yourself, that's how nature made you. Mm. So it's, it's having the ability to learn how to, yeah. you know, think rather than react or mm. buy yourself that thinking time and think about the, the consequences. And again, no one should control us. So we choose how we react to things, not be influenced by the people. Mm. I love how you use the Hulk's character arc throughout the whole of the Marvel series as an analogy of him yeah. learning how to control his mental health. Like, that's actually a really... I'd never thought about that. It's actually a really good point. Yeah. Um, getting pissed off at everything yeah. and lashing out to a point where... Because when you first said it, I, in my head I thought, well, I'm always angry. That that quote, <laughs> that yeah. just made me laugh. Yeah. But no, the actual, um, like I said, it's, it's a choice at the end of the day. And and like you said, with going to the fridge and each other, like, it's, it's no secret, I have probably one of the worst diets... Probably in Basingstoke. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes. <laughs> um, and I could easily buy some chicken breast, whack it on a pan, season it, whatever, have chicken and rice, whatever, be healthy. But I choose not to. And it's not, I wouldn't say it's It's not an emotional thing. Like, I don't feel like I have to eat pizza or whatever. It's not like, oh, I'm having a, sh- a bad day. I'm stressed, so I want to eat shit. I just choose to eat bad food. 
But that's different, isn't it? Because you're not doing that because of emotion. You've made a logical decision that it's about having balance as well. Mm. You know, when we, when we set goals in life and targets, um, I mean, you talked about the ripped people with the six packs and all that, yeah? Mm. A lot of people might want that, but what you have to give up to achieve that, mm. you know, where you can't go out for a few beers with your mates, um, I don't know, maybe you can, but I wouldn't have thought you can. You can't have some of the things in life you probably got to be dedicated in the gym and how you live. You know, they say, uh, well, I, I've heard that your bodies are made in the kitchen, not in the in the gym as such. So you've got to do all that. But that, of course, is time consuming and commitment. But you've also got, you know, people have got families, they've got work. So it's that balance. What, what, what sort of proportions of my life are important to me and in what sort of levels? Because if we take one thing to the extreme, others will suffer. So it's just about having balance. But some people, the Steve Redgraves of this world and the really dedicated sports people, they live their whole life to be successful in one area. But we don't see the 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 suffering, the sufferance and the the sacrifices that are made. And I watched Steve Redgrave in an interview and he said, I got up at four, four thirty every day for twenty years, Christmas, birthdays, the whole lot, to train. And there was a cost to that. Can't enjoy yourself on holiday, can't relax because you're striving to be the best. Not everybody can be the best. He's a benchmark. My, my, um, you know, I, I don't have the, the motivational commitment to be the best at anything. I just want to be the best for me and my family. And mm. that's, I think that's probably a healthy uh, response for a lot of people. But I wouldn't judge anyone that wanted to be the best at anything because in terms of empathy, um, we're not living their life. So mm. it's hard to judge and you shouldn't judge other people because we aren't in their shoes. Yeah. I think it's quite interesting. Like I've I've been battling this for quite a while where when I was from the age of nine till about 18, my entire life was rugby. Entire life was rugby. I'd wake up at five, six o'clock in the morning, kick in practice before school, go to school, come back, train, then go travel to the club, train every single day, seven days a week, very much like that. And then rugby was taken away due to injury. And I think I've still been struggling with not having, I guess, that uh, structure to my life and that direction to my life. And it's ever since meeting these two fuckheads, that actually Matt and Rob, they grind, they ground me. So they make sure I'm actually in the place I'm actually at. The other week, Matt and I said, shit, we need to get back on program uh, training wise, because we realized we were just doing stupid shit in the gym. One of us would, well, even myself will get injured. Those two will never get injured. Robbie, especially. Um, but, you know, having that structure and having those people around you, you know, you're, you're a product of your environment. And if you, if you, a lot of the time you see people with large amounts of, like vast amount of quotation mark friends, those friends aren't actually bettering you. Whereas having like these two with me, I would however have two close friends and having those people actually to hold me to accountability wise, like make sure I'm actually doing my things. And then like Rob, weirdly, I don't understand how he does it, but he will know if I'm having a bad day mentally before I even talk to him. And then he knows how to conduct himself around me that day. But then he also knows days where actually I need a bit of a kick up the ass to make sure that let's just get back on track. And it actually kind of links back to leaders. So leaders should actually see why is my member of staff or why, why is that person like performing negatively or acting negatively in the, in the office and having those people around is huge. I personally find. You're right. You're actually um, going into the realms of emotional intelligence now because um, you know, if leaders have got good emotional intelligence, exactly what you just said, they can uh, have the perception and awareness of the mood of the people and the team around them. Mm. But for some people, it just goes over their head, you know. But but if, if if Robbie can pick up on when you probably need one sort of response or support or maybe another, then that's good. I mean, that's coaching. That's what we do as coaches. Identify the best ways to support people. And when they need a bit of extra support, be there. And when they're very motivated or it's going well, you know, th- then they're less likely to want to talk to us. Same with leaders. Uh, you know, a person doesn't want to be micromanaged at work. They don't want someone on their case 24-7. But when they aren't feeling great, it's good if the, the line manager or the, the leader can pick up on that and have another conversation. Mm. And if they converse regularly anyway about stuff, you know, life in general, talk about Brexit or whatever or, or, the, or the virus these days, then at the end of the day, having a, an extension of that, talking about how you're feeling, how you're doing, you know, is, is no big deal then. And if people make it a big deal, then that's when people don't open up Mm. or if we don't have these conversations. But the emotionally intelligent line manager or or manager or leader 
will pick up on all this mm. because they are tuned into people and the way they think and, 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 and how they're feeling and will do the right things to support them mm. and have a bit of empathy to their situation. Yeah. Because we're all individuals and we don't always know what's going on in our lives, the other people's lives as well. Mm. You know, they could have stuff going on. We haven't bothered to chat to them to maybe find out how we can help. Mm. Things you said earlier, what can I do more of? What can I do less of? This is a regular conversation that needs to happen, yeah. you know, and good good support. And you don't think of your person or, or the, the leader as the boss then. It's just a colleague. Mm. We know they're usually paid more and got more responsibilities. They don't need to go around wearing a badge saying I'm in charge, mm. you know. Yeah. In fact, the opposite. They want people to um, follow them because of how good they are, how supportive they are, not because they demand respect mm. and support. You know, we all know people like that. The ones that you would... Uh, get out of trouble if they needed it and the ones that you would just let get on with it because they've created that scenario for themselves and that's back in the days when we worked together Mm. yeah i do believe whether it's rank or position or whatever organization you're in respect doesn't come from a position it comes from being earned with a team around you Um, and i think you've seen it as well mark over years far too many people just expect respect just because of their authority in an organisation rather than actually understanding they've got to earn it with the team mm. that they lead. Absolutely, yeah. And and uh, if if people would ask a question back in those days, the answer might be because I said so or because I'm in charge mm. or because you do as you're told. Nowadays, that doesn't work because people have been encouraged to think for themselves. We want people to make decisions at the lowest possible level, to, to own things and be happy with people making mistakes. So we, we, we can't treat people uh, in, in a hierarchical way where we used to. And, and you know, good. It's good that yeah. we do that, mm. you know? We, we get it in the gym sometimes, don't we? Like, not, not specifically here. I'm talking in general. Like, say someone deadlifts 300 kilo, They'll step foot in a gym and they, they think that they deserve respect because of what they lifted. And don't get us wrong. Like, we, we respect what they've done. But as a person, that doesn't shape you who you are. Like, why should I respect you because you lifted that amount of weight? Like, you need you need to earn that, as, as you both said. Like, respect is earned, but there's definitely an abundance these days. And I, I, it's not firing shots, but younger generation, they feel like they deserve respect. I've noticed, I used to work in a secondary school, and it is quite interesting because certain members of staff would talk down to these kids and the kids would just be like, well, why the fuck am I going to listen to you when you don't respect us? I'm not, I'm not going to respect you because you're a teacher. Whereas my approach to teaching was a case of, I'm not friends with you, but I know you've got shit going on. I've got shit going on. If you want to talk about it, talk openly. And a lot of the time I would be dragged into offices because I'd allow students to swear in conversation. And I said, but why am I going to be a hypocrite? Because I swear every other word whenever I'm talking. And those kids actually ended up respecting me. But I feel like a lot of the time that's really lost. It's really lost. I don't know why. And obviously some people may disagree with me when I say that. But it seems to be not recently. Over the past few years, I've noticed a bit of a trend with it. And I don't know why it's happening. Is it an ego thing, maybe? I I don't know. I'm curious. No, I, think, I think some people like the fact that they they feel like that they're, they're almost like an alpha male mm. or, you know, or just an alpha in general. Want to, yeah. want to feel like that they are, you know, big boss or number one yeah, yeah. and portray themselves as that, but in a negative way. I'm with you. I'm with you. you know yeah. what I mean, yeah. um, I think, I mean, it's quite, it, there's memes about it all over the internet and stuff like that, but it's, it's a trend that, and it's because of social media, it's more of a male thing, but, mm. Like men want to walk into a gym and be the biggest and strongest guy in the gym as a status, as a symbol, uh, you know, of who they are. Like, yeah, I am the beast. Like it's, you could attribute it down to like a testosterone thing, like an ego thing. But um, I don't, I think that kind of travels wherever, wherever you do, like you want to be the biggest guy, the the strongest, the richest, the most wealthy, the most successful and stuff. And I think people portray that you know, without actually being there and end up coming across as a complete dickhead. Mm. And um, like you said, I think, I think I've definitely seen it in gyms in the past. Yeah. For sure. Where people walk around, we call it um, 
imaginary lat syndrome. <laughs> so people walk out like, thinking they're bigger than they actually are, like, oh, check me out. Yeah. Or walk around like think that they own the place. And I think that just comes down to like, they think they're portraying that they're better than they actually are for mm. whatever reason, whether it's ego or something like that. But if, if people want to be liked and get attention for that, then it, it does suggest there's some sort of insecurity going on about yeah, other areas. hundred percent. So if there's an area lacking in life, this is an area I can control and, and an area that I can improve and be, be big on if you like, because if you, if you take all that away and just say, right, someone set a goal for themselves, they're working hard to achieve the goal. They're doing whatever on the weights. They're doing whatever in the gym, but they're not conscious of the impact that's having on, on other people because they're just minding their own business, getting on with it, not interested in being the biggest, the best and the strongest. Mm. They're just doing it for themselves. Again, we're not competing. We're being the best we can because exactly. we, we've all got different bodies and different yeah. um, different fridges and different demands on things. So there's no point. But the people who are doing it for the attention is the same people who are posting stuff on social media to to tell you how great things are when you know that actually, in reality it probably isn't, but it's it's drawing attention away from mm. the negative stuff by projecting all the good positive stuff on them, and and, and that's the thing. It's um and it can create ultimately a, a sad a sad outcome mm. because you're not really enjoying yourself. You feel like you've got to compete and do this to maintain this status that's in your head, mm. which is why people in careers. They make it, they have a great time, perfect in terms of income and balance with their family. And then they go for that promotion, that extra 10K. And all the family side of it goes under the bus, but they've got this extra 10K, which after tax, they'll find something to spend it on. And it might be a, a nicer car or a bigger holiday or, a, or or something else, but there's nothing really intangible to show for it that, that, that really can make a difference. Mm. Um, you, you, you mentioned younger people earlier, Ash. Mm. Um, just in my own life, and I don't know about Matt, but... I think when you're in your 20s, you do set these big goals about what you want in life and your promotions and more money and because you want a nice house and you want, you know, the good things. But when you get there, I think for a lot of people, what's important really changes, which is why I came off the, the corporate ladder. Um, you know, I could have gone higher and could have done more. But one of the reasons was I'd have had to move around the country. Mm. And I and I moved around the country as a child and I didn't really think that was a great thing and I didn't want to put my children through it. So it's about having the balance and, you know, making sure that it's like flying an aeroplane. If one of the wings is too high or too low or the nose or the tail, it's going to go in off direction. Just small tweaks here and there. Try and get it in balance. You can pick the four parts of a plane and say that's four areas of your life and try and keep it in balance. Otherwise, you've got a problem. I really like that. Never heard of that before. Loving these analogies. <laughs> whipping out analogies like, oh, that Hulk one is still Hulk, blowing me away. The airplane. Never heard the Hulk. And I never thought about it in that way either. You need to write your own book on the analogies, I think. <laughs> yeah. They're proving quite popular. <laughs> but no, Mark, it's been really, really good talking to you today. I think it's actually been one of my favourite podcasts, to be honest. It's been very insightful. Yeah. Um, it's nice to talk about like mental health because mm. it's such a underlooked area and I think it's starting to come out of the blue now a bit more like yeah, there's a lot of um you know like Jason Fox and mm. stuff like that are doing more like mental health stuff podcasts books mm. and stuff and I think it's really good to hear about because I think more people are going to what's the word I'm thinking of I guess connect with talking about this sort of stuff more than you know more than anything I think it's such an underlooked what if we got any stats on mental health do we do anything like that we have, but not for this podcast. Not for this no. podcast, no. <laughs> um, but like the, I mean, we've there are there's the, if, if you look them up on Google, I'm sure there's some statistics on, uh, you know, like one in ten people in the UK suffer from mental health uh, health issues. But it, that's a lot of that is probably some of that's probably still under covers. There's probably more people out there than you th- than even in statistics that suffer with it. Um, Absolutely, there's a lot we can do. There's a lot organisations can do, and they need to do. Um, it's, it's proactive, you know, talking about it, you know, we, we love talking about it and, and it, it helps to talk as we know, but organizations need to really do something about it because their people are the best resource, the, the best thing they ever had. And, uh, someone like Richard Branson has got it right. He says, look after the people and the rest will take mm. care of itself. Mm. I, yeah, I always thought it was a really distinct difference with him and Bezos. Bezos is customer focused but never really mentions employees. Branson is all about 
employee focus and then that bleeds over to the customer yeah. satisfaction um real quick one before we do wind down with everything you've gone through today mark can you just give us a reminder of where people can find out more about your services and what you currently deliver yeah i've got my matt thanks i've got my website markcorder.co.uk so that's mark with a k and then c-o-r-d-e-r.co.uk you can get in touch with me on there um, I'm happy to talk to anyone and you know be a sounding board or get in touch if you want some sort of advice or guidance or want me to come into your organisation and have a chat to people. Brilliant. Thank you. Before we finish, I've actually found some stats for you, Rob. Oh, go for it. So, on the 4th of October, uh, WHO, who's WHO? Uh, World Health Organisation, is that right? Yes. Yes. Uh, so, WHO released this study? One in four people in the world will be affected by ne- mental or neurological disorders at some point in their lives and currently around 450 million people suffer with said conditions. That is insane. That is mad. And it's probably going to get worse until we tackle it properly. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Because yeah. like you said, it, it's, it starts from the top and it bleeds its way out. Like you said, one person takes days off. It just means more work for everyone else still there and it just yeah. bleeds and bleeds. Yeah. Um, Crazy. It's so important to talk about, mm. which is why I've particularly really enjoyed this one. Yeah, it's been no, awesome. Thank you very much for inviting no. me in. It's been my pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks, Thank you for coming. Thank you, guys, and we'll speak to you soon.